0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Marty. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am very humbled to be up here to present to you God's Word. I encourage you to open God's Word to Matthew chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to take one out from the pew in front of you. Having God's Word open is really important as we consider His ways. What a privilege it is. Matthew chapter 9 We'll be focusing in on verses 37 and 38, but we'll read verses 35 through 38 to get us started. And if it's in your pew Bible, it's on page 814. Matthew 9. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we know your mind. We know your ways and we know your plans as we dwell upon your word. And may we do so faithfully. May what I say, Lord, be honoring to your name and what we think and what we do, Lord, as a response, Lord. May that be glorifying to you. Help us, Lord. Amen. Well, as we start this morning, I want to get you thinking I want you to think for a moment about your favorite musician, or your favorite singer, or your favorite band. For my wife, it would be Billy Joel. For my mom, it would have been Perry Como. For Kyle Kennicott, of course, we know it would have been the Old North Band. And for Connor Holloway, young Connor Holloway, we know it would have been the Wiggles Now, thinking about that person or band in your mind, I wonder what you would do, what you would do to get that band or person to come to your local school's auditorium to play for you and whoever else could come in. What would you do to make someone so big, get someone so big, so famous to come here just for you and your people? Would you go around telling everybody, all your friends, maybe getting tickets out? Telling, hey, listen, they're going to be right here at our school playing for us. Would you hang signs up on the community billboards, making sure everyone knows who's coming? And perhaps if they demanded when they threw a bag of Skittles at you and said, pick out all the purple ones because we don't want it, would you even do something like that? Being part of something big is exhilarating, isn't it? Being part of something that has connections beyond our little town or a little world is very intriguing, isn't it? And whatever that person may be, or whoever that person may be, most likely there's someone in your life or something in your life you'd say, listen, I'll be part of it, whatever it takes. I just want to make sure it happens. No job is too big or too small. It doesn't matter if I'm up front or behind the scenes or if the work is easy or hard. doesn't matter. I'll do it. The only thing that matters is that this thing happens or this movement goes on take any scenario that you're excited about and you really grasp the value and importance of it of what's going on and I'm sure you have and maybe you would see that it's a great opportunity to be part of something bigger than yourself this is great I'll do whatever it takes to be part of this I'm in well I say this to set the scene for what's going on here in Matthew chapter 9, in our short little two verses we're going to dwell on this morning. Our series, Generous King and Generous People, have focused on God's bountiful kindness in giving us so much. And as a response, we ought to be people who are generous in return. But not really only out of a dutiful response, but a response that is maybe we can say cheerfully, we want to be generous, joyfully, ever increasingly. And today, our time in this passage will angle in on a very specific point, where I want to see—I want you to see—in this passage God's great generosity and how together we can respond to be generous people. To unpack our passage here this morning, we really understand, need to understand three elements of it: the harvest, the laborers. And then the prayer. So let's start with the harvest. Harvest imagery often in scripture denotes judgment. But not here. When we come, on, come upon this word harvest here, we're supposed to understand it like any farmer would understand the word. When we see a harvest in front of us, we see a precious, valuable commodity. The harvest represents food for the upcoming winter. It represents money in the sense that if you have excess harvest, you can trade that for things you need or want. And a harvest, especially a plentiful one, represents security, sustenance, and money. In other words, it's very, very valuable and certainly worth laboring for. And like most agrarian illustrations in the New Testament, harvest is a metaphor here, right? Jesus teaches us, in this case, about the value of all people around us. There is a field of people out there, Jesus is saying, waiting to be brought in. And if you look there at verse 35, you'll see cities and villages full of people in need of the gospel of the kingdom. Crowds of people, verse 36, that's the harvest, Jesus is saying. There is a kingdom awaiting these people. There is a new king of this kingdom, and his name is Jesus. And this kingdom is waiting to be filled up from people all over as they are brought in in the response to the message from the king. Now, my hunch is for many of us, this is straightforward this morning, but what may be surprising to you is who Jesus is talking about here when he says, the harvest. If you just look back in your scripture, maybe one page or two behind this passage, in chapters 8 and 9, And you skim over the sections there, you'll see who this harvest is in context. Look at chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. We'll see that the harvest includes a Roman centurion. And that's very surprising because the audiences of Jesus' teaching most certainly would have assumed the kingdom of God is only for Jewish people. But in chapter 8, verse 10, as Jesus tells us, nowhere in Israel... Has he found such faith as this Roman centurion? The harvest is full of all different kinds of people, even those seemingly far off in distant fields. Now, if you keep scanning there in chapters eight and nine, you'll see the very, very valuable harvest is made up people of people who are blind, crippled, mute, and disease stricken. Probably the kind of kernels that we'd throw away if we were walking along the fields harvesting. And then you get to chapter 9, verse 10, when Jesus seems to indicate that this valuable harvest is found even amongst the weeds. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with him. Those terrible sinners? Yes, part of the precious harvest. So that's the lay of the land in terms of what the harvest is or who the harvest is. But I guess the question would be and should be, well, how is this generous for us and to us? We'll flip back to our passage in chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. And you'll notice there are two essential modifiers for the word harvest there. And you'll notice the first one, that the harvest is plentiful. Not a word about us having to till the soil Not a word about having to fertilize it. Not a word about having to take out thorn and thistle to work it day and night. It's just there, waiting. Jesus says, Look to the horizon. There is a bountiful harvest there, just waiting to be brought in. Any fool's jaw would drop at the immense value of what's been given. How generous! So the question is right away for us is, do you see the world and all those around you as harvest? I mean, when you go to work, when you're walking through the supermarket, when you're at the ball fields, when you're driving in your neighborhood, what do you see? People who kind of get in your way at times or kind of just off on the fringes or the valuable harvest we're meant to see. We'll notice the second modifier In verse 38 of this word harvest, notice it is his harvest. See, all the people you're surrounded by aren't just there because you coincidentally chose to live in the same place in the country, in the world. These people could very well be part of the bountiful harvest God is giving, just like you are. Do you see those around you that way? I sure don't when I was a kid I loved my birthday because I was and unfortunately still am very selfish and I like getting gifts and I loved getting the toys and the things I wanted but I had a grandparent inevitably most birthdays when all the toys are there they would hand me an envelope and it was a bond <laughs> and I thought what fun is this What good is this bond? It was a letdown. But as I got older, and as I matured, and dare I say, as the bonds matured, they were so valuable. When I went off to college, they helped me pay for books and classes. I realized then what a generous gift it was. Well, the same goes for us here for the harvest. As we mature in our faith, we start to see the world, the people around us, not just as people in our periphery, but people who could give more praise to Jesus. More and more people who could honor their creator. More and more people who could be brought in to love the Lord their God with their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And more and more people to help yet others do that same thing. What could be more valuable than that? More and more people to give honor and glory and power to Jesus. Do you see the world around you as a generous gift, as a harvest? So far in this series, Generous King, Generous People, we've seen God's bountiful generosity in many ways. And this morning, I want to make sure you see it here in these two short verses God's generosity. He's sown and given us a precious harvest. Now let's talk about the laborers. See, once you understand the value of this harvest, and once you understand that it's just given to you, ready to be brought in, then I think the understanding of laborers or labor falls right into meaning. If there is a great harvest and it's given to us, then it needs to be harvested. But notice there's only one modifier to the word laborer here. And it says there are just a few of them. Just a few. And we're men. And we should be floored by this. You mean we've been giving this great harvest, but there isn't enough help to bring it in before the season ends? That's like saying this morning, telling you that there are thousands and thousands of hundred dollar bills laying out in the parking lot. And no one sees the value of getting up and going out to collect them before the wind blows them away or other people come and take them. Now raise the stakes significantly, exponentially, and eternally. People are much more valuable than money or grain, and the Lord's glory is much more valuable than my next meal. The harvest is valuable, and so is the labor. But I don't think that the phrase the laborers are few here, is meant to be taken as a negative, matter-of-fact statement only. Given what's going on in this part of Matthew, I think there's, it's much more of a positive thing upon, than upon first glance. Rather than a description of what's going on, I think that this phrase is actually an invitation to participate. Look at chapter 9, verse 35, and you see this phrase. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching and preaching the gospel. And hold your finger there and go back a few chapters to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Matthew 4, 23 says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel unto the kingdom in healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. See, Matthew is saying almost an identical statement there and here to showcase something. In chapters 5 through 9, Jesus is the only laborer for the harvest. He's the only one. But when Matthew here repeats that phrase here in verse 35, back in 935... He's not only reminding what Jesus' mission is, he's also telling us there's a transition in the ministry, a reinvention of the movement, if you will. And if you look at chapter 10, verses 1 and 5, you'll see it goes from Jesus, the lone laborer, to chapter 10, verse 1 and 5, him calling and sending out helpers, calling and sending out laborers. So our little phrase here, that the laborers are few, is really a statement more like, come and labor with me. It's an invitation. See, Jesus is the powerful king. He just healed, cast out demons, changed people's lives like no one ever in the history of the world, before or since, no one ever has done. He certainly didn't need people to come alongside him, does he? But even with that, you have this statement here in nine thirty-seven to 38. Jesus is offering this invitation. He says, that the laborers are few, hint, hint. The more we value the harvest, the more we will see the value of the work. And the more we see the value of the work, the more we'll say, I'll do anything to be part of this. See, I think this short two-verse transition in Matthew's gospel is meant to be quite evocative. What an amazing privilege for these disciples to be part of the 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 once-in-the-history-of-the-world movement, to be called, commissioned, and sent in person by God and Jesus the King to go throughout all the lands to tell people about Jesus and the glorious kingdom to come, the glorious place where we will dwell together without sin, without sin, or shame, or crying, or disease, or death. Do you want to be part of that, Jesus says. Unless we think that this is just for the original disciples only, don't forget where Matthew is going. On into Matthew chapter 28, the passage many of us know this morning, the Great Commission, when he tells the disciples, go make all disciples and have them make disciples of all people. The great commission for all Christians to be laborers for the harvest. In other words, this invitation here in Matthew 9 for the disciples is also an invitation for us. So far in this series, we've seen God's bountiful generosity in many ways. And I want to make sure this morning you see it here in these two short little verses. He has sown for us a great harvest and laid it in front of us. And then he asks us to participate with him in this all-meaningful, eternal work for the harvest. To represent him and his message of hope to the world. To tell the world it's living in rebellion to stop, turn back, and well, be part of this valuable harvest. Now, as much excitement as Matthew intends in this passage... We want to make sure we know that Jesus is no bait-and-switch salesman, just wanting to get as many people to be part of his movement as possible with by muting the details. Indeed, Jesus wants laborers to join him, no doubt, but he also wants them to understand what they're getting into, what the cost is. And he's already spelled that out in Matthew Chapters 9 or 5 through 9 by telling them that the cost of following Jesus is quite high. In fact, you have to give up your own life to follow Jesus. And that mirrors the cost of engaging in this labor. He'll talk about that in chapter 10. Laboring too will be costly, laboring for the harvest will be hard work. Laboring is hard even when the harvest is ready for us. Despite the great crowds, despite the fame, despite some amazing responses as we've seen, many won't be and can't be harvested. In fact, many people will ridicule, oppose, and even persecute the laborers for the harvest. But that's why he motivates us with this harvest metaphor. Come be part, come join me because it is so much worth it. Endure in the work and labor for the harvest now and be part of the ever growing community of people spending eternity with each other and their king later. It's a value proposition, a trade off, but one we struggle so much to see the value, don't we? And that's why we have our third ingredient of this passage, and that's prayer. Why prayer is so important. See, the plentiful harvest highlights God's bountiful generosity. But the few laborers showcases human inadequacy. On our own, we don't see the value of the harvest, do we? On our own, we don't understand the importance of the labor. And thus, there are so few laborers. That's why we need to pray. Because it's only with God's eyes... That we can see rightly. And it's only with God's compelling love. That we can move to give up all our other pursuits. To labor for this pursuit. For the harvest. And notice here in this section. There's only one modifier for our word prayer here. We're to pray earnestly. See our prayers. Much like our credit card statements. Showcase what's really important for us. And to us. So, the question is for us is in our prayers, do we pray for anything earnestly, yet alone the things that God wants us to pray for? Do our prayers demonstrate our earnest desire to see people, more people, come and know the Lord? And are our prayers directed to the Lord of the harvest, pleading with him to awaken, train, and send out laborers for the harvest? And are our prayers willing? And daring enough to ask the Lord, how can I be part of this? I'll do anything, Lord. Help me. Well, so far in this series, we've seen God's bountiful generosity in many ways. And this morning, I want to make sure you see it in these two short verses. He's given us a harvest, sown it, ready to go. He asks us to participate in helping bring in the harvest. And he gives us full access to him to call upon him for help. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. The generous king has given us plenty to do his work. You are surrounded by people every day, given to you. As precious and valuable. More so, he has honored you by saying, Come and join this very important movement. Be part of this work. And our generous King has given us one of the most underappreciated gifts of all: prayer, entrance to his throw room, access to his ear. So my question for us this morning, my question for you, is with all these generous gifts laid out in front of you, what will you do with them? Well, let's go back to where we started. Whatever group you thought of, or band, or musician, or movement you thought of, and saying, yeah, I'll do anything. I'll be part of this. It's that important. My hunch is you love it because it's something big. It's something inspiring. Well, compared to what the generous king has given us, those things are trite, aren't they? You're willing to labor for lots of things, maybe those things you thought of. Why not this? Why not for something much, much more valuable? The eternal destinies of all those around you. The expanding fame and glory of the name of Jesus Christ. So my hope this morning is that scripture changes us. And I'm going to suggest four ways that scripture changes us. Maybe four ways that we can do things differently. And the first way is that I hope that as a result of this scripture that we will see differently. That we will see people all around us wherever we go as God's gifts to us. A bountiful harvest of people potentially ready to respond to the message of Jesus Christ. Who could add to the multitude of tongues. Who will confess joyfully that Jesus is Lord. And my hope also to you is that you will see each other in this room this morning as differently, that you will see your brothers and sisters Christ as laborers for the harvest so that you will encourage him or her along the way. I want you to see different, but I also want you to pray different because of this passage. I want you to ask God to give you a sense of the value, the immense value of his generous gifts to you From this passage. To see the people around differently. To see the work as all important. I also ask that you would pray for laborers. Pray for your generous response to these short two verses. That indeed you would be your part of this gospel work. This labor in your everyday life. And I ask that you would pray for brothers and sisters to do the same. I pray for my brother as he goes to work today that he will be a missionary for Christ in his lunchroom. I also ask that you pray differently in the way you pray for pastors, elders, missionaries, campus workers, all those who've been set aside to do this gospel labor in a full-time capacity. Pray for them that they will honor and love the Lord in the way they labor for the harvest. And finally, we have to pray for what this passage tells us to pray for, Pray for more laborers for the harvest. Pray for our church and churches around the world to raise up harvest workers. And pray specifically for young men and women to consider giving up their career goals to pursue full-time gospel word work in many very different ways. See differently, pray differently, and may ask you to labor differently. We all labor for many things, don't we? We labor for a better body. We labor for more knowledge. We labor for a better career, more money, better family experiences. Why wouldn't we labor for this? This labor is unlike any labor that we can take part of because it has eternal and personal significance for everyone in the world. And remember what this labor is. This is what harvesting is. Harvesting is anytime we testify about the risen king. Laboring for the Lord is any time we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. Laboring is as we speak the truth and love to anyone at all times around us. Would you labor different because of what Jesus calls us to do? Remember, this labor is not just for pastors or ministry people. This is for all of us. And if you value the harvest, if you value the work, you just need help along the way. That's why we're here for each other. That's why we're the church, to equip and train you and to encourage you to go out to the world. So come talk to one of us. One of the pastors or someone in staff, they say, how can I be equipped? I, I get the value of it. I just feel ill-equipped. We'll help you. See different, pray different, labor different, And fourthly, give different. See, one of the priorities of Old North Church has been and will be to preach the gospel to all people and raise up gospel speakers so they go out anywhere in the world and do this work. Locally, regionally, around the world. And your support of this church as you put money in the offering plate or give it online is not just kind of the thing you do because you should do it. I want you to think differently about your giving. You are giving, giving as a partner in the gospel for laboring for the harvest. I hope that makes a big difference in how you see your giving. And I hope it compels you to say that you are part of this and you're willing to do whatever. Even give up some of your comforts because this is so important. But when I say I want you to give differently, I don't think, I'm not thinking only about money, though that's a part of it. I want you to see that the giving of yourselves is an important response to this passage. To labor differently, to work as laborers for the harvest, because the harvest is such a great gift from God. Many over the years have said to me, Pastor, I just can't do what you do. I hear you, but I can't do what you can do. And I say two things. I say, one, you (laughs) can't. Because you have the Spirit of the Lord, you have the Bible, and you have people in front of you. You can. But I also know that we're all uniquely gifted and we have certain circumstances and positions in life. Certainly we all can do it, but we might not be able to all do it in the same way. So my second response would be, maybe in line with the imagery and metaphor of this passage, is if you can't swing the sickle, at least sharpen it or pay for it or hold it or walk it out to other workers because if you see the value of the harvest and it's ready, the urgency for it to come in, then you will do whatever it takes to bring it in. And last thing, I want to talk about how we give differently. I want to tell you a little bit about the, the special charge I have here as a pastor, one of the pastors of this church, and that's to oversee our ministry apprenticeship program. We have this program that we started a few years ago now. But more importantly than a program, we have four young men here. This passage is the driving force of the why of these four young men. It's been our MAPS vision ever since it started, and it's the compelling force behind the apprenticeship program. We've brought in, two uh, 18 months ago, Connor Holloway and Kyle Kennecott, and now two just a month ago, uh, Bruce Chimani and Mick Naples, We've brought them in to be part of staff full-time so they can train, think about, watch, and participate in this laboring for the harvest. Because we desperately need more laborers for the harvest. This is an opportunity. The harvest is plentiful. It's urgent and opportune. What are we going to do? When I started at Old North Church about over eight years ago, I came to this church and I, I wondered how a church this size, with this many people and this much resources, and having a stated goal of introducing people to Jesus Christ, could not be enthusing, compelling, and sending more full time gospel workers out to the harvest. How could that be? Well, in God's kindness, eight years later, his kindness through you, things have changed. In many ways, they have changed, but one of those things that changed is that we started this ministry apprenticeship program with these young men. And your support, financially, prayerfully, and relationally, has been tremendous. Thank you. This support helps us do something we have to do raise up more labors for the harvest. It's essential. And you're doing this work. I love these apprentices. I love them. Unfortunately, they think of me like I'm like Moses. Barely able to walk, but maybe helping them along the way. But I love being with them. So one of the things you can pray for is with me that I can walk faithfully and honorably and as a good example to them. But I have a few prayer requests as we think about these apprentices. I want you to see the apprenticeship program as not just a program. I want you to see it differently. Not just a program, but an investment into labors for the harvest. Investment into gospel work around the world. Wherever these four young men may end up. I also have two specific prayer requests I could ask you in, as a response to this passage this morning. One prayer request would be this. Wouldn't it be great that in five or six years from now that one of our apprentices would be someone sitting in this room right now, an 11th or 12th grader? Now, we had no problem. We're really grateful for these guys coming in. And God gave us some wonderful young men. But wouldn't it be great that, that, that the guts of Old North Church are so much wanting to get laborers for the harvest because the harvest is such a gift from God? Wouldn't it be great If that vision compelled a young 11th or 12th grader now to say, maybe I'll put that in my mind. And before he goes out or she goes out to start a career, think maybe this is more important. Maybe I'll do this. Would you pray for that? And the other thing I think I would love to see happen is that we would have a 40-year-old apprentice. I know, as I said, someone as old like me. That someone mid-career would be compelled so much by the vision and the urgency to say, you know what, I'll give up my career and I can, I'll do this. I want to be trained. I want to think about full-time gospel work. Would you pray for that? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Brothers and sisters, you can labor no matter what you do for a living for the gospel. Please hear that but the harvest is so plentiful and the labors are so few. We do need men and women set aside for this work with every hour of their working week and beyond.